Welcome to this Upila audio presentation of the Boy Fortune Hunters in Panama by Floyd Akers. Volume 9, Chapter 22, The Thrust of a Spear Instantly there was tumult all around us. The crowds broke and surged toward the central point in the tragedy, forcing us who were in front to struggle on the crest of the wave. The reserve vanished, and each man cried to his neighbor in eager tones and allowed the mad excitement of the moment to fall sway. Someone cut Ilala's bonds, and the girl sank to the ground to support the head of the little arrow-maker upon her breast, pressing back his thin locks and tenderly kissing him upon the forehead. But he knew nothing of this grateful kindness. His eyes were set and glazed, for the arrow had lodged in his heart. There was a tug at my thong that threatened to strangle me, for Moit had bounded forward to kneel beside Alala and try to assist her in spite of his own helpless condition. Then some semblance of order was restored, and our guards pushed us back and eased the thong which was fast throttling me. For the murmured words of the natives, I gathered that Tacharn had atoned by his sacrifice for all the guilt charged against the princess, as the law declared that where the death penalty was imposed, another could die instead of the condemned to set them free. For this reason, the king was raging like a wild beast and threatening those who expressed sympathy for the girl who had so miraculously escaped his brutal vengeance. But the whites, at least they shall die, and the black men who are with them he shouted aloud, casting at us such glances of hatred and ferocity we knew our fate was sealed. They had carried Porch Charn away, and the princess had risen to her feet and now stood bravely confronting her father. It is folly to talk of injuring these strangers, she answered him boldly. I alone know their wonderful powers and that they are able to crush us all if we dare attempt harm them. The king let out a disdainful roar, but Ilala's words impressed many in the crowd and caused the Teclas to murmur again. "'What can they do?' asked the Lignat derisively. "'They are but human, and they are in our power.' "'They have their magic chariot,' she said, "'which you all know can deal death and destruction to their foes.' "'Magic!' retorted the king, laughing boisterously. Do you call that poor man-made contrivance magic? All eyes turned toward the opening, where a hundred yards beyond the broken wall, poor Moit's automobile was standing motionless as we had left it. Most of those present had witnessed the machine's marvelous performances, and in nearly every face now lurked an expression of awe or apprehension. Nalignad saw the look, and it aroused him to fury. Come, he cried, I will prove that the white men have no magic. Seizing a heavy bronze-tipped spear from an attendant, he ran from the enclosure and made directly for the automobile, followed by a crowd of his most devoted adherents. The others with us remained to watch curiously what he would do. I saw Moy's face pale, and his lips tremble, but he stood firm and steadfast while the king, 
rushed upon his beloved machine and with a powerful stroke drove the spear clean through the place of sheathing which protected the body. I must admit I was amazed at such a display of strength, but a more athletic savage than Lignad I have never beheld. When the jagged rent was torn in the side of the automobile, the crowd that surrounded it danced gleefully and jeered at the helpless child of our poor inventor's brain as if it were alive and could feel the scorn. Again, the Lignad seized a spear and hurled it at the side of the machine, piercing once more the light but stout metal. The third went crashing into the automobile. And then, and then it seemed as though the world had suddenly come to an end. I was dashed so forcibly against the huge body of my guard that where he fell upon the earth, his head was crushed like an eggshell. But I did not know this until I came to my senses and heard the sounds of moaning all around me and saw the ground covered with the forms of stricken natives. A knife severed my bonds and set me free, and I staggered to my feet to find Alala and Duncan Moyt supporting me until I could recover sufficiently to stand alone. Nux and Brionia, all unhurt, were busy restoring the bruised and bewildered Teclas to consciousness, while Uncle Naboth sat upon the king's bench, his clothing torn to tatters, and wiped away with his red handkerchief the blood that trickled from a cut on his forehead. I looked around wonderingly, trying to imagine just what had happened, and saw a piece of dull silver metal driven edgewise into the front of the palace where it was wedged firmly into the hard clay. That gave me a hint. I looked out upon the plain where the automobile had stood and found that it had disappeared. So had Nelignad and the crowd of furious natives that had surrounded him as he plunged his spear into the heart of Duncan Moyt's great invention. Then I remembered the can of glycerin explosive and knew the whole terrible story in an instant. The spear point had made Ilala queen of the Teclas, and had also deprived her lover of the perfect fruit of years of inspired thought and faithful toil. Chapter 23 The Deserter While the village slowly recovered from the effects of this dreadful calamity, and the uninjured cared for their less fortunate brethren, our party was ushered into a comfortable apartment of the palace and given food and drink and such comforts as the place afforded. We saw nothing of Alala at that time, for with those chiefs left to her, she was doing her best to relieve the misery of the stricken village. Moit was with her, alert and active, keeping constantly by her side and eagerly assisting her in the work of mercy. This I learned later. Just then I imagined him frantic with grief and despair. I found myself regretting the destruction of his great invention even more than the loss of life caused by the explosion. The dead were savages. The machine that had perished with them was the most splendid achievement of mankind, and I firmly believe that any man in any era of civilization would have been able to boast about it. But when toward evening Duncan Moyt came to us with a lala, I was astonished at his placid stoicism. Grieved he certainly was, but his face expressed resolve 
and thoughtfulness more than despair. I'm really sorry, old man, I said, laying a sympathetic hand on his shoulder. I know how long and tedious the time will seem until you are able to construct another machine as perfect as the one you've lost. He shuddered a little at my words. Sam, my friend, I shall never build another machine. That dream is over. Over? I cried, astonished. What do you mean? Are you going to abandon all your ambitions? I mean, the fortune that awaits you, the applause, admiration of your fellow men? What do they all amount to? He asked. Yes, I will abandon them. I'm going to live with Ilala. Here? Here, in the half-savage, almost unknown land of the Teclas. The result of years of labor has been wiped out of existence in a flash, and I have not the courage to begin again. I have no patterns of the machine, and the drawings and specifications all were destroyed with it. I can never build another that would equal it in perfection. Why should I attempt it? I do not need an automobile here. I do not need fortune or fame or anything. I just need love. And this Ilala has given me freely. Do I understand you to mean that you will always remain in this godforsaken country? That is my intention. I shall help my wife to rule her people and in her companionship be happy in a simple, natural way. We argued with him long and earnestly, while Ilala sat beside him silent and smiling but very sure that we could not prevail over his sudden but preposterous resolution. They found a few scraps of what they believed had once been the lignad, and that night the remains were consumed with fire, accompanied by many impressive ceremonies. Other funeral pyres burned also, both in the enclosure and on the plain beyond for the most malignant of the green chiefs had followed the king to assist him in destroying the automobile and had therefore shared his fate. Bright and early the next morning, Ned Britton appeared at the edge of the forest, leading his band of seamen to our rescue. We advanced eagerly to meet him and told him the news of the king's destruction and our altered standing with the new ruler of the Sambles. Ned had heard and felt the explosion even on the wreck, but thought it must have been an earthquake. The newcomers were not regarded with much favor by the Indians, yet I thought that we all assisted greatly to lend dignity to the day's ceremonies, which included the formal acknowledgment of Ilala as ruler and lawgiver of the nation, and her subsequent marriage, a most primitive rite, to the inventor Duncan Moyt. Ilala's husband was next, adopted as a Tekla, and then the excitement seemed to subside and the population settled down to business again. However, there was no denying the fact that the natives resented our presence among them and were ill at ease while we remained in the village. So I told King Duncan, as Uncle Naboth insisted upon jocosely calling him, that we would make haste to return to the ship. He offered no objection to our going, but stated simply that it would be our wisest course. Then he hesitated a moment, as if embarrassed, and added, You must never come back, you know. The Teclas will live their own lives in their own way, and hereafter I am to be one of them, and shall forget everything that exists outside our borders. 
We permit you to go freely now as a return for your kindness unto our queen. But should you be daring enough to return any time, I warn you, you will be received as enemies and opposed to the death. So you're going to become another Nalignad, huh? I asked, indignant at the traitorous words. In the future, as in the past, the demoralizing influences of the whites and their false civilization will be excluded from the dominion of the Sambles. My wife will rule as her fathers did, he answered coolly, in spite of the fact that one white man has been admitted into the community. You have been my friends, but when you leave me now, you must forget our friendship, as I am resolved to do. Should you invade the country of the Teclas again, you will do so at your own peril. This assertion, coming from one whom I had trusted and regarded as a faithful comrade, filled me with consternation, not unmixed with resentment. But the man had always been peculiar, and I tried to make allowances for his erratic nature. Tell me then, I said after a moment's thought, how about dividing those diamonds? They are yours. I have no use for such things now, he added with a touch of sadness in his voice. You are welcome to whatever share was due me, with one condition. What is that, Duncan? You tell no one where you found them, and promise never to return here for more. I hesitated, and Uncle Naboth looked sorely disappointed. It is my intention, continued Moyt firmly, to support the traditions of the Teclas. They must own nothing that will arouse the cupidity of the outside world, for only in this way will they be able to control their own territory. I'm glad the audacious Tichan is dead, and I will destroy all his pretty goldsmith work within the next few days. Also, I shall have the Valley of Diamonds thoroughly searched, and all the white pebbles cast into the sea. Therefore, no temptation will exist for you or your fellows to come here again. Our laws will be rigidly maintained, and any strangers, white or black, who defy them will be severely punished. Yes, I had always suspected a streak of madness in Moit. Perhaps the destruction of his marvelous invention had served to unbalance a mind already insecurely seated. Anyway, I could see that he was in deadly earnest, and that any argument would be useless. My companions also noted a strange glitter in his eyes that warned them he would not lift a finger to save their lives if they again ventured to invade the country ruled by Queen Alala. So with regret, we submitted to the inevitable. We bid Duncan Moyt and his beautiful bride farewell and marched away through the forest till we came to the banks of the river where the wreck lay in plain sight. A strong escort of silent natives watched us until we were all on board, then they melted away and disappeared like ghosts. I've never seen the inventors since, or stepped a foot upon the land of the Teclas. Chapter 24 We Leave Panama Well, the story is told, as you may easily guess. Uncle Naboth and I ran up to Cologne, not liking that city, took a train across the Isthmus to Panama, which we liked no better. The half-caste Spaniards and natives are a miserable lot, 
and do not compare either in intelligence or dignity with the isolated tribes of the Sanglais. Someday, however, when the Great Canal is built, Americans will invade these parts in such numbers that the present population will disappear. It is a mistake to think the climate of Panama unhealthful. On the uplands both north and south of the depression where the canal zone is established, it is as healthful as any tropical country in the world. In the zone itself, which is 10 miles wide, bad sanitation caused by the carelessness of the French workmen used constantly to breed fevers and disease. The Americans are now busily cleansing the Augean stables and good sanitary conditions are rapidly being established. But I will say this, that unless one has business in Panama, he may readily discover a more desirable location for a residence. We soon returned to the wreck, which we preferred to the towns of the Isthmus, and there amused ourselves until the Carmenia arrived at Cologne. Then her captain, an active and energetic young man named Colton, took charge of the remains of the Gladys H. He had received orders to remove the cargo, strip the wreck of all valuables, and then abandon her where she lay. He brought his ship alongside with ease, and as soon as he was in charge and had given me a receipt, our people removed their personal possessions and were rowed around to Cologne, where a steamer was shortly due that would carry us to New Orleans. I kept an eye upon the forest for Moit, thinking he might appear to bid us goodbye, but he did not. We warned Captain Colton not to land in the San Blaise country, but did not confide to him any part of our recent remarkable experiences. A few days later, we caught the steamer and made a quick voyage across the Gulf. We reached Chelsea on the 12th day of February and were warmly welcomed by my father, who reported the seagull nearing completion. The diamonds were sold for a surprising amount of money because the stones proved exceptionally large and perfect, and the proceeds were equally divided between Ned Britton, Uncle Naboth, and myself. We insisted that Nux and Bryonia share with us the fortune, but they would never accept anything in the way of money at all. They said that they worked for Uncle Naboth and Master Sam, and they knew very well that whatever we had, they were welcome to. We had selected three good specimens of the white pebbles to sell for the benefit of our faithful seamen, and the amount of prize money they received from this source greatly delighted them. Neither Mr. Harlan nor his company ever blamed me for the loss of the Gladys Age. It was simply one of those fateful occurrences that mortal men are powerless to control. The End We hope that you have enjoyed this Upila audio production of The Boy Fortune Hunters in Panama by L. Frank Baum. This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. The opening and closing song is The Pirate Shanty, performed by Worldwide Adventurers. The song was written by Frank Bullen in 1872. Bullen was an expert in sea shanties and an author. He even compiled a book of shanties titled Songs of Sea Labor. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com. You can also become a Facebook fan of Uvula Audio 
Just do a search for Uvula Audio on Facebook, or you can do it from the main Uvula Audio webpage. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. We are listed on iTunes, and you can subscribe and download our podcasts for free from there. If you like our podcast, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the secure PayPal links at uvulaaudio.com. From all of us at Uvula Audio, we thank you. <laughs>